this hour. So as you know, we've been in a four-part series on worship, and we've talked about various aspects of worship. Last week, we were looking to the glory of God, just experiencing God's goodness around us and paying very specific attention to that. And if we could, we'd capture the picture and, and send it over to Daniel or somebody here on, on our staff, and it would be posted or put on the screens. You saw some of those going on the screens when you were coming in, and um, we'll use those some more. And just looking for the places of the glory of God, as Kay and I have been away last week to celebrating with our middle son, Evan, who finished up grad school, and we were just hanging out with him and his wife and just moving around throughout central Florida, and uh, I, I caught up myself, and Kay did too, just looking for God's grandeur, looking for the moment where we just say, oh, doesn't that just make you worship? And you know what I noticed when I was doing that, looking for the opportunities to worship, the things of the world sort of dissipated. Did you notice that? Temptations are less, distractions are fewer, because you're focused on God, his glory, and the opportunity to worship. That's a practice we ought to continue for the rest of our days. But today I wanna to talk to you about corporate worship. Corporate worship, and I wanna launch out in the 34th Psalm, the first three verses. Uh, you can look that up in your Bible if you want, or you can read it off the screens and look it up later so that you can capture the whole essence of that great Psalm. Psalm 34, verses one, two, and three. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now say this last verse with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Welcome to the 1%. Did you know you were in the 1% club? Now, some of you are going to argue with me that you don't make the required income, $538,000, to be in the 1% club financially, but that is not what I'm talking about. You are part of the 1% today because the hour from 9 to 10.15, that hour and 15 minutes, is actually 1% of your waking hours if you sleep, on average, eight hours in a night. You are in the 1% of your week that is most critical. It's shocking, isn't it, that such an essential part of our week would only be 1%? Now, before you think, oh, Gunner is just vying for more time in corporate worship, I'm not, although I won't argue the point if you want to make it. I will just say that this is such a crucial time for us that we ought to say, so vital at this time, let's make sure we are so intentional and purposeful as we gather for corporate worship on Sunday mornings. This is a sacred time. It's a cherished gift of God. So everything that we do in this hour, albeit singing or reading or listening or praying or encouraging or responding, let's do it to the fullest. It's 1% of our waking time. So let's remind ourselves why God has drawn us together for corporate worship and why it is so crucial. So we come together on Sunday mornings very purposefully. It is the mandate of God that we do so, but it's also the practice of Christians that have been doing so since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday morning, that began a movement among Christians, followers of Christ, that we would gather together and worship and celebrate Jesus Christ, praise him, and to be reminded of the truths that are so uh, life-altering for us. So let's think through the purposes of corporate worship at Meadowbrook. Now, I'm going to share with you a, a few things. It's certainly not an all-inclusive list. And if you say later, oh, he didn't mention this or didn't mention that, uh, just hang on to those thoughts and you lift them before the Lord. I know there are many, many more reasons why we gather for worship than what I'm about to share with you. But here's some that I thought was most encouraging for us this morning. Let me just remind us of this, that in corporate worship, we hear... We receive and we respond to God's word, his presence, and his family of believers. It's meant to be all of that. It's not just a hearing the proclaiming of the word of God. It's not just singing the word of God. It's not just hearing and receiving. It's responding to it. It's uh, engaging in it. And it's not just what is read or what is audibly heard. It's what we're communicating to one another among the believers. It's among the, the encouraged saints who are now encouragers. So this could be the place that God wants his response from his word to be received by the congregation, the presence of the congregation to be encouraging, and the encouragement of the saints among each other to lift us so that we might corporately do great things and individually be increased as well. So here's what we do. We gather to exalt the Lord. We're gathered this morning to exalt Jesus Christ. I should also remind us that Sunday is an exalted day. It is the day of the Lord. That's what we call it. So we're exalting Christ on this exalting day. And I say it's exalting because this is the day of the week, the first day of the week, which is above all other days. There is no other day like Sunday. Monday's great, Tuesday's great, all the way through the week. Friday is great, Saturday is great, but Sunday is preeminent. Sunday is the day, the morning that is uniquely special because on this day, we distinguish it as the morning of the week in which Christ was resurrected. And it's not just that Sunday itself alone is special, but we say the morning of Sunday is special. The afternoon is great, the evening is great, but the morning is exalted because it was in the morning that the women discovered that the resurrected body of Jesus was no longer in that tomb. He was raised to life. So the day that we gather together, Sunday, the morning times that we gather together on Sunday morning, all point to Jesus. That makes this day exalted. That makes this day a unique day above all others. And as we unite together for worship, we are reflecting on the teachings of Jesus, be it the Old Testament or the New Testament, his life and his teaching. We cherish his death and his resurrection, and we appeal to the promise of God that Christ himself is going to return again. And we acknowledge that Christ is preeminent. That's what Paul was writing there in Colossians as Kay and I were together reading that, that he is supreme above all others and we proclaim that he is at the right hand of God the Father ruling and reigning all this day is pointing to those kind of truths in corporate worship we are gathered together that we might hear 
convocationally the word of God, a holy gathering of the saints of God that we might hear his word and acknowledge the Bible as the eternal word of God that has been given to mankind by which we must live and by which we are saved. And we sing songs that are deeply engaged and rooted in the truths of the Bible. I like the way Sinclair Ferguson says, corporate worship is a joyful response of the redeemed to the grace of God as we gather to worship him in spirit and truth. Now notice spirit and truth there. Spirit is not capitalized. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit there. This is the same words, the combination of words, spirit and truth that Jesus spoke when he was trying to explain to a woman that it wasn't about Mount Gerizim where a place was to be worshiped or Jerusalem at the temple where the place was to worship. But the time had come that God was calling for all people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what he's saying there is that we gather together individually or collectively on this Sunday morning. We're doing it that we might worship in spirit. We might worship from our inner being. Now certainly the Holy Spirit is leading us in that but that we might worship in spirit. In, internally we are worshiping. So there's part of me that is very demonstrative in my worship. I'm singing aloud. I'm raising my hands. I'm raising my head sometimes, bowing my head other times, taking various postures. All that might be demonstrative, but I can tell you there's a whole lot more going on inside. There's a whole lot more in me. That's my spirit crying out in worship to the Lord. We worship in spirit, but it's not just a worship in spirit, it's worship in spirit and truth. And Ferguson is right in saying that because you can have a whole lot of spirit without any truth and you've got a whole lot of mess. So everything that we're doing is to be engaged in the truth. And what is truth? We know this is truth, the word of God. And so our worship is derived from this, the word of God. Our songs are derived from this. It's rooted in this. Essentially so, because as much teaching is going on in the music that we're singing as the preacher is proclaiming. So we are worshiping in spirit and so I mentioned earlier that we hear and we receive and we respond to God's word, his presence and his family of believers during our gathering. And that is exactly why it's important that we would gather together. Not in our pajamas on the couch, watching YouTube, but we would gather together that we might hear together, receive together, respond together, encourage each other together, that, that there's an element that only happens in this room together or corporately as saints gather for worship. There's an element that the Spirit of God is using that is very unique. So he is guiding us. Now we love music at Meadowbrook, do we not? Uh, we love good music. And uh, we're grateful for that. Music expresses an, our spirit, doesn't it? God has given us a gift. Music moves us. It brings emotion out of us, doesn't it? And so it is part of the expression that our spirit is worshiping God with music. Music causes us to worship from the inner being. And so we worship in spirit. But I'll tell you as well, music is God's gift because it is ministering to our spirit. It doesn't just come from us, but it is given to us. And it's a great experience of ministry to the inner person. 
So we often respond to music with emotion. What is it about music that can make us feel so emotional at times? Whether it's joy or sorrow or hope, music has a way of stirring us in that way. So it is a, an, a melodic composition that is engaging us emotionally, but also intellectually. God, that is God's gift. It's a powerful gift, a wonderful resource, especially when the lyrics are rooted in biblical truth. Now look, since my salvation, probably yours too, God has put a song in me. And you can't stop me from making music. I don't know what it is. Now, I wish I had the, the talents to make music like these folks on the stage, but I don't. But I can whistle <laughs> and I can hum and I can sing and it may not always be on pitch and it might always be not with the right words, but I can do those things and so can you. God has put a music in me, a song in me that just has to come out and sometimes I might use the song as an expression to my Savior and other times I might be singing the song knowing what my Savior is to me and it just is me singing to him and that's cool, that's good. But something extraordinary happens on Sunday mornings when the saints of God King Jesus. We may come from different backgrounds and experiences, different colors and shapes and sizes, but when our voices unite to the glory of God, it's akin to heaven on earth. And when we mix in the brass and the woodwinds and the stringed instruments and the beatings of the drums and cymbals, and people are using their talents to exalt Jesus in that way, sometimes I feel like it's my undoing. Like I don't know if I can stay contained in that moment. It just kind of grips me and hearing your voices and me pushing from my own diaphragm to sing out in projection of praise to the Lord and lifting my hands at times and bowing my head at other times in a way to exalt King Jesus. There is nothing like congregational worship, the public gathering of the saints to exalt Jesus, to read his word, and to sing his praises. Boy, I love being with you on Sunday morning. But let me remind you of this critical truth, my friends. The most essential instrument in the church is the congregational voice. I love to hear the choir. I love to hear the instruments play. I love to hear all of that. I'm awed by that at times at the wonder of God who has given us such great opportunity to express worship. But my most encouragement comes when I hear your voices. There's little wonder why King David wrote, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. No wonder he wrote that. No wonder the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. We look at the words here, oh, magnify the Lord. Now we lose a little bit in the English translation, but the word there is Jehovah. That is, oh, magnify Jehovah. Make known the greatness of the eternally existent God. That's what that word is saying. Make known his greatness. Exalt his name. 
Exalting means to lift up. So jointly we are instructed to lift up the Lord, to praise the excellence of his name and character and being. Now there are a couple of ways for us to exalt Christ as we gather together on Sundays. One is to lift him up with our words and with the songs of praise that we are yielding to him. And the other is to lower ourselves or by bowing For example, Bobby Bowden in 1977, after he beat, when that happened, his players lifted him up. And you say, why in the world are you putting Bobby Bowden on that screen? Because I ain't putting one of our teams on there. (laughs) Divide half the congregation right there. Bobby Bowden is one of us. He's a saint of God who stands in the presence of God these days. I'm grateful for him. And he was a coach at Samford University one time. So he's the one that I chose to put on that screen. And obviously those players are exalting him, right? They are lifting him up. That's pretty easily seen. But there is another way that we can lift people up. We lift people up by either raising them or we lift them up by bowing down to them. And when we make ourselves low and we leave them in the exalted place, they're lifted up. And that's the image that I want you to have when it comes to corporate worship. We're not coming to hear music, to be stirred by it in a way that we get goosebumps. We're not here to be entertained. We are here to lift up Jesus. We are here to lift up Jesus. So when you're bowing your head, you're lifting him up. When you're raising your hands, you're lifting him up. We're here to exalt him. So, oh, magnify Jehovah with me. Let us exalt his name forever. So worship is exalting the Lord as we hear. Lord, we're hearing you. We're hearing your word. I'm receiving you into my my heart and my intellect. Lord, and I'm responding to you. That's a way of lifting him up. Lord, I'm in your presence. Oh, I lift up your presence of spirit. And Lord, I bow before you and say, whatever you want in me, the answer is yes. And Lord, my family of believers here, oh, I lift you up among them. I want your name to be great. I want them to hear me proclaim your praise. I want them to, to see me worshiping you and you alone. And Lord, as I see them, how I'm encouraged that they lift you up in that way. That's what the corporate gathering of worship is meant to do. So not only is it to exalt him, but it's also we gather to obey Christ and to build one another up. We're gathering to obey him, and as we're obeying him, we're doing so in a way that encourages one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let's think about this. How can we stir up one another for love, to express love, to be loving, and for good works, eternal works, works that have great value that are going to be rewarded by God one day in the, in the heavenlies as Christ judges out and weighs out all that has been done. Let us consider how to do that and not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the Lord commands that we not neglect meeting together. And as the day is drawing near, the day of his return, we ought to do so increasingly more. That we would consider how to engage more lovingly. 
and more in good works. So coming together to worship on Sunday morning is an obedient response to Jesus and obeying him on Sunday morning, the first morning of the week is a great way to get the week started. In fact, when you come together, as the Lord commands on Sunday, to gather together, not forsaking the assembly, when you're doing that, on the morning of the first day of the week, you're in a pretty good trajectory for the rest of the week. Anybody ever missed church, skipped it, just decided it wasn't going to happen today, and the rest of the week was all amuck? It's like it gets in your mind, right? It's not guilt. It's, hey, I'm off track. I started the week off track. I, I chose me over the Lord. I chose, chose myself over the congregation. Whatever, I've done that. And the rest of the week, I'm like, what day of the week is it? And when, something's just not right. So when we gather together, it's for real intentions, real purposefulness, and it's an obedience. And it sets us off in the right direction for obedience the rest of the week. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy, but it certainly is helped when we gather together. I love my time with the word and prayer. I love my time of worship privately with the Lord and I love holding my wife's hand in prayer and worshiping with her as I mention that often. I think I mention it so often because I went so many years without it that once once I began to recognize the goodness of God that was found in that moment, I forever want to talk about it and I pray in my talking about it you're not you're not in anything other than just encouraged to continue or to encourage to start every guy in this room probably thinks oh gosh he's saying it again (laughs) you're thinking that your wife is thinking yeah buddy why don't you start this okay why don't you start it just go for it today tomorrow morning Whatever the time, just take her hand before you head out, before she heads out. Let me just pray with you for a moment and just worship the Lord in prayer. I love those times. There's, there's really not a, a greater time for Kay and me to be more close to the Lord than when we're holding hands and praying together. In the times when I have grown weak and weary and wicked, are the times that I have forsaken my personal private time with the Lord. I need that time. But I also need time with the Lord with you. Time with the congregation. So I come to church on Sundays, not just because I'm paid to do so, but I've been coming to church on Sundays all my life. It's what my mom and dad taught me to do. It's what I I found to be most helpful in me understanding more about God, in in me being encouraged to live differently than the world. It's the time and the place that I gather. I I need this time receive on Sunday mornings. I come to church and I find that your love edifies me. The, the hugs that you give and the handshakes that you extend and the service that I see you doing for the congregation and for others, the fellowship that you have with me and one another. I need to see that. I am encouraged by your presence. When you gather together, that encourages me and it encourages others that you gather together as well. I'm encouraged by your singing. I love it when you're rejoicing. I like it when you're in open 
open your Bible and you engage it, when I see you responding and head nodding with me, when I see you interacting, I watch your interaction with others as well. Friends, good friends that you found here and that you've made and you continue to make. I love seeing you do that. I love time guest. I love how you will seek after those who are vulnerable, those who are sort of on the, the side and, and want to be there, but yet you lovingly approach them and go after them. That encourages me. God uses you to build me up. And there's no other time and day like this time and day for you to do that. But God also encourages you through me. The talents, the gifts, the abilities, the Spirit's manifestation in ways as the proclaimer. And I hope that you're truly engaged and better for it. So we find that reading, teaching, preaching, singing of God's word in a corporate way edifies one another. We are better for it. If you want a deepening faith, a stronger marriage, a healthier family, a happier, blessed life, you should participate fully in worship on Sundays. I'm not talking about just coming. You should participate fully in worship and then plan to stay for life group because that's the place that you can develop godly relationships and really minister to one another. We all need each other. And although Sunday is just one of the seven days of the week in which we minister to one another, this is the first day of the week that God uniquely sets apart for the gathering of the saints to come together and to minister to one another. Some might say, well, I don't really like the crowds. Or I can worship the Lord by myself. But I want you to hear this. God never intended Christianity to be solitary. Solitary might be a game that you enjoy when you're alone, but it does not bode well for your faith. In fact, I want you to hear me on this. Every metaphor in the Bible communicates plurality of Christianity. Every single one. The Lord does not ever illustrate individualism when it comes to the church it's always a flock it's always many parts forming a body it's always the building of many components it's a nation it's a priesthood it's the people belonging to him you won't find an illustration about his people that is identifying singularity it's always plurality because we are meant to be together. The Bible has no expectation that Christians would ever be alone in this journey of faith. Instead, it speaks of togetherness. We are saved into the family of God, living in the community of God with one another. So I want you to think of it this way. Someone might be a great athlete, might be strong and capable, who understands, let's say, the game of football, but unless they're on the football team, they'll never really make a first down. They'll never make an open field tackle. They will never block a punt, never score a touchdown. They'll hear the cheers, but they'll never hear the cheers in the way that those who are on the team hear the cheers. And they'll never know the love of the game, the brotherhood of the team, the coaches revere the joy of the victory if he does not join the team. So you can have all the ability in the world but until you join the team, you won't experience the fullness of it. Now, you'll experience some of it, but you won't experience the fullness of it. And it's the same way in church life. People will not experience the fullness of God and the kingdom of God without connecting to the church of God. So, unfortunately, there are experiences and rewards that will fall short 
of God's desire and purposes for their life if they remain disconnected from the church. So the gathering of the church is so essential. And then finally, we gather to attune our hearts to God's presence. In Christ, we know God is with us. The name of our Lord is Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And so by faith, he is yours and you are his. And though he is omnipresent, he is within us. And though he is enthroned at the right hand of God the Father, he is enthroned on our hearts. And though he is dwelling in heaven, he has made his spirit to tabernacle in us. I can't explain what happens on Sunday morning with the gathering of the saint in the 1% of our time. But when we gather for corporate worship, I find myself in the unique presence of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is altering his manifestation or mystically revealing himself during those times. I don't even say things like, oh, we thank you, Lord, for your presence being here now, or we invite your presence. His presence is always with us. But here's what I know. I'm acutely aware of the presence of God when I come in this room for the purpose of worship. There is something significant about us coming here. Now, we know that the Spirit does not leave us. We know that the Spirit has made our bodies his home. We know that by faith we are in him and he is in us. But when we hear his word and when we sing his praises and we exalt his name in worship, we are more often attuned, I mean receptive and aware of his presence. And that draws us nearer to him. That's the reason why when we're doing that, we make confession of our sin. We we're making a repentant statement to him. Lord, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live your way. I want to be more like you. I want to see the sanctifying work of the spirit in me. So, oh Lord, do that work in me. I don't want anything to be held back by being made holy. It makes our love for him grow and it makes our desires for him more complete. As David Platt said, the purpose of corporate worship is not to provide entertainment for the people, but to provide a platform for them to encounter the living God. Are you encountering the living God when you come into this place? And if you say, oh, yes, pastor, I encounter the living God, it's because you were looking for him. You were seeking, you were knocking, you were opening the door to him. And he was always present. You're just more acutely aware of that presence. And being in the private time of worship, you can be very acutely aware, I am. And being in the corporate time of worship, you can be very acutely aware, and I am. And we need both. We need both. Now the service is gonna continue beyond this message, allowing us to worship with intentionality, to practice and experience the realities of worship. Remember, worship is exalting the Lord as we hear receive and respond to his word that word preaching and teaching and we hear and receive and respond not just to his word but to his presence and the family of believers this is this is what we're doing as we're gathering to worship so let's proclaim the lordship of christ in this next song and let's express what the song reveals about god from the pages of the bible let's do that and then we'll close after we sing a couple of songs
Amen. So we gather together for worship, hearing, receiving, and responding to the word of God. Proclaim from the preaching, proclaim from the singing, proclaim from one another in his presence, being encouraged and lifted up. The gathering of worship is so important. But look at this final point. We gather to reflect the hope of heaven. I just think for a moment what transpires as you and I stand and we minister to one another. It reminds us that in heaven, the focus is on Jesus Christ. All attention is on him. And so it is when we gather in this place. It's not on the preacher. It's not on the singer. It's on Jesus Christ. And as is in heaven, the sounds of praise and expression fill the room with worship such that the glory of God is more richly known And as we gather, so the saints of God will assemble before him on his great throne. So as we gather on Sunday mornings, it reminds us there is a great gathering coming. And then as we gather together, made wonderfully in Christ, productive by his spirit, we serve so faithfully. And it reminds us that in heaven, in the new heaven, and the new earth, God will make our bodies to be glorified and we will do grand work for him, eternally valuable work and great productivity without any of the element of sin that encumbers us. This gathering is meant to be a picture of heaven. I pray that it would be so, that Christ would be exalted. Now, as we close with this last song, I pray exactly that, that Jesus Christ himself will be exalted in our worship, and it would be evident that he alone is our treasure. Let's sing about him one more time. Then we'll be dismissed at the end of the song. Oh, 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 oh,